I've done it. This show's part of the COBOL Broadcast Network. <laughs> Bloody COBOLs. This show is part of the Goblin Broadcast Network at GBNCOM.com. Follow the path. The Bears Grove Podcast. Adult-level discussion of role-playing as a storytelling art at BearsGrove.com. Well, hello there. This is Sam, the bear in the Bears Grove. And um, I'm excited to be coming to you today, another podcast. Today on the program, I'm going to have a special segment on Dragon Con 2007. And I'm going to talk about designing a module. But first, some news and notes. Well, it looks like... uh, my friends from the RPG Podcasters mailing list and from Goblin Broadcast Network, uh, which they're basically one and the same for the most part. There's some that are on there, uh, are on the RPG Podcasters list who are not on the Goblin Broadcast Network, but not very many people. They are headed off for Gen Con, and they are having the time of their life right now, and they've just announced Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition, which apparently is going to have a serious online component to it, um, which, you know, I'm interested in seeing. Um, And so I'm sure they're having a great time. I I really wish that some of the other players who... um, I'd love to follow would also do some twittering from the convention, but so far uh, I've only gotten twits, tweets, I guess you call them, tweets from Kenneth Newquist from Newtown Radioactive, which is a very fun podcast. Um, I recommend it to you. Ken was talking about uh, getting ready to go play Spirit of the Century, and I was so jealous. Now, that's really unreasonable of me, because I know that in a couple of weeks I'll be playing Spirit of the Century 2 and other games, but I I felt for a moment just this twinge of jealousy. Here I am at work, and he's tweeting about going to play Spirit of the Century, which was okay. That was okay, you know? I, 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 I can cope. My novel, Heart of the Hunter, is progressing. I've been working on that. I've topped out at around 30,000 words so far, so I've really done a lot of work on this novel, and it's coming along quite well. I'm excited for the, the, the possibility of breaking the 40K mark, which would then place me into NaNoWriMo range as far as um, you know, people the way people uh, deal with novels. Unfortunately, in my personal book, um, I'm looking at more than... 40k. I'm I'm thinking about 50, 60, 100. Um, at the same time, you know, I don't want to overwhelm anybody. So there's that as well. Um, but we're having a good time in the novel, and I've recorded chapter 10 and put it up on the feed. And chapter 11 will be recorded just as soon as chapter 12 is finished. Um, I'm having a ball writing this and trying to. Um, keep the action going and the suspense going while at the same time continuing to explore my world and letting people know more about it. The Goblin Broadcast Network. The Goblin Broadcast Network has a new face. 
This is a temporary interim face for the Goblin Broadcast Network. It uh, is actually a WordPress template, which, you know, WordPress is a very easy thing to install, uh, at least for me, and um, I really enjoyed putting this together. And what we're going to be doing with it is... uh, that's going to be the interim face of Goblin Broadcast Network for a short period. And then, um, well, a short period means maybe six months. And then we're going to come out with a brand new site. And the site will have a lot of features. And I'm excited about it, but I can't really talk much about it because I don't like to talk about things that are non-existent just yet. But we've made some plans. We've talked about it. We've had some meetings. I'm excited about what's going to happen and I think um, you will be too when you see it happen. I wanted to brag a little bit on myself, okay, so maybe this is all egotistical and everything, but I'd really like to just sort of have somebody else know about this. I was pleased and surprised just recently because the Game Master Show had um, a contest they were running for Godsend Agenda. Um, they have, they've been playing Godsend Agenda. They played one episode of it, and then the contest was to write an adventure, which basically will form the second episode of what's going on. And so I spent some time thinking about it, and I wasn't going to enter because I felt like, well, maybe, you know, I don't have any good ideas or whatever. But I started thinking about it and started to turn things over in my mind, and I I came up with a storyline, and... Um, I'm excited about it now, and I put it together and sent it in, and it won. Um, I was very happy. Uh, To a certain extent, I worried that it would be kind of like uh, a professional coming into what's supposed to be an amateur arena or something like that. It's true that I have been a game designer and that I've been paid for this in the past, but it's been a while now, and... um, I've never designed anything for a game in which I've not even read the rules. So that was kind of a challenge. The interesting part about that challenge also was that um, I was given characters and said, okay, you are going to design the story, the adventure for these characters. And, you know, I was thinking of it in terms of that and looking at the character sheets, I noticed that all of the character sheets in this game pretty much have uh, maxed out they they're very combat oriented people there's very few um stats in anything other than combat skills so i made sure they had enough combat um so that was one thing that's that i think was really standing out they were really looking for more combat because of the fact that their um their folks uh are pretty beefy so I was just, I was very tickled about being chosen, and I believe I'm going to be receiving some books from the Game Master Show, uh, Godsend Agenda books, and I'm looking forward to that. But the more important thing for me is just going to be hearing the players, hearing the Game Master Show players play that game, um, and listening to it and seeing how it works and I'll be sitting there on pins and needles the whole time, I'm sure, because it'll be a thing where I'll be worried about whether or not the story's going to break or whatever. 
But um, I'll also be exhilarated to hear what happens and, and sort of tickled to, to, to hear what's going on. That That's the big prize for me. Um, so anyway, uh, enough about that. Also, just recently, I was on the roundtable twice. Uh, Chris K.J. Johnson and Chris Miller are heading up the roundtable these days, and they have... Uh, two podcasts that they put out. One was about indie indie games, and you know, versus story versus traditional games like story games versus traditional games, and the other one was about American versus British television. And I got a chance to sit on both of those, and I really enjoyed them. Um, just a lot of fun and a lot of interesting conversation. And so I encourage you to go over there and look uh, listen to the roundtable. And I've got some promos. I've got some promos to play um, today because I've had some other people playing my promos on the podcast, and I'm really excited about that. So that's enough news and notes for now. But I wanted to just talk about those things. And next up, we have my Dragon Con 2007 special. Hi ho! It's your favorite amphibious reporter with a helpful internet tip. Listening to the Geek Acres podcast can make you a well-rounded, hip, and fascinating individual. Go now to geekacres.lipson.com. That's geekacres.lipson.com. Your friends will be <clears throat> green with envy. Okay, so you're saying, Sam, why, you know... Nine nine times out of ten, most of the people who are listening to this message, they're not going to give one flying flip about Dragon Con. Well, I understand that, and I will not spend too much time on it. Um, but I did want to talk a little bit about the games that I'll be running, because I'm excited about them, and also talk a little bit about what's going to happen there. Um, so the games I'm going to be playing. One is a Spirit of the Century game where um, we are going to do the fast character creation rules and we're going to create the characters right there at the table. And I'm going to try something that Clyde from the Theory from the Closet podcast suggested. And we're going to create the characters right there at the table and we're going to run the game from that. Now, do I have anything planned ahead of time? Well, no, I don't. I'm purposefully not pre-planning anything. Um, I'm going to go in there with, uh, you know, just my basic knowledge of the pulp genre and my creativity and make it happen. And the thing of it is, well, I'm not, the thing of it is, I'm not going to make it happen. The game is going to support me. I feel like, you know, Spear of the Century... Which I, by the way, I did play a little bit of so far, and I really enjoyed it. Spear of the Century is going to support me. I feel pretty confident about that. In fact, that's kind of a theme for all the games at Dragon Con this year. People are going to be creating their characters. So another game I'm going to be running is, and now you are here, which is a module uh, from the After Serenity campaign. That is essentially the second module, but I, I really thought, you know, I, the first module was, 
just not inspiring to me. I'm not saying that it was bad, but I just didn't get inspired reading it. And um, I really did get inspired reading uh, And Now You Are Here. So um, Now You Are Here takes people back to Serenity Valley. And um, that's going to be fun. That's going to be very touching in a lot of ways, for especially for Browncoats. If I get Browncoats playing, they're going to be really touched by this story. Because um, it's like, wow, you know, this this is the ultimate after Serenity landscape because it's kind of returning to the scene of the crime where Mal was, um, Mal lost the war, uh, the Browncoats lost the war. And so that's going to be fun. Um, the other things I'm going to be running, uh, Cat. Now I'm kind of cheating on Cat because... Cat is supposed to be about mundane cats, but I really like the idea of having wizardly cats, much like the Diane Duane books. Um, there's two of them that I know of, A Book of Night with Moon and To See the Queen. And um, so I'm, I'm sort of ripping off uh, Diane Duane in this particular uh, adventure um, because I really enjoy that whole genre. So the the cats are going to basically be wizards um they're 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 cat guardians of the world which is technically how you know john wick wanted to play cat um to a certain extent but they're going to be a little bit more mad i'm, I'm going to describe them as more magical and that's another game where we're going to create characters sitting there at the table so that'll be interesting to do and finally we have the prince's kingdom which is a wonderful game um, by uh, Clinton R. Nixon and um, a couple of other people, and based on a game on the game Dogs in the Vineyard, um, where kids are um, supposed to go to various places, uh, islands, and solve problems in on those islands uh, because they are princes, and they are their father's agents in the world. So their father the king's agents in the world so they're going to be doing that I've read the rules once um, I'm going to read them again I'd really love to play um, before I actually run the game but it's going to it's going to be hard to do so it looks like I'm just going to have to run it cold which will be interesting to say the least but I think it'll be fun and once again another game in which I'm writing I'm, I'm making up characters as I go along so that's going to it's going to be a very exciting time uh, for me because I'm really flying by the seat of my pants. At the on the other hand, um I do have some experience at this and I don't think they're going to have a bad time. Mainly what people do is they play um games with folks. They pay about $3 a shot and they play their 4-hour game. So that's what we're going to do. And it's going to be a lot of fun, but I'm going to have to pay attention and really uh, be there and be a good GM for these people. And it's going to be interesting. I got to say, I'm I'm kind of scared about running some of these games, but I think it will grow me as a game master and also as a game designer. I'll be experiencing these games that I've read about for um, so long up close and personal, and that's going to be fun. I'm going to talk uh, briefly about the fact that I'm going to get to meet some gamer folks there at DragonCon. 
So I'm excited about meeting some of the people from the RPG podcasters list, and I'm excited about the possibility of perhaps maybe role-playing with some uh, podcasters, which uh, I haven't done in, uh, yet. So that's going to be fun. Um, at any rate, I will also try to get some interviews because I have my trusty little Sony uh, disc player, and I can bring my disc player with me and sit down in a corner with some people and interview them and ask them how they're doing and what, what, what they think and that sort of thing. And we can put those up on the Bears Grove. So that'll be fun. Okay, well, thanks for uh, hanging in with me about Dragon Con. And, um, you know, it, it is a very large convention, and there's a whole lot to do. There's a whole lot to see. There's a whole lot to be involved with. I really encourage you to get to see it, even if you don't live in Atlanta or in the southeast. You should come and see it. It's a lot of fun. Okay, so that's all for Dragon Con 2007. Thank you. Next up, we're going to talk about how to create modules for role-playing games. Here at Newton Radioactive, we grow our science fiction the old-fashioned way. Whether it's your pseudo-cyberpunk dystopian future... There are fields, endless fields, where human beings are no longer born. We are grown. Or dark, mysterious oozes lurking beneath the surface of the Earth. That is not water. Black blood of the Earth. Did you mean oil? I mean black blood of the Earth. Or our ongoing experiments into alternative fuels. This is, uh, this is heavy duty, Doc. This is great. Uh, does it run like on, on regular unleaded gasoline? Unfortunately, no. It requires something with a little more kick. Plutonium! You can rest assured that Newtown uses only the finest speculative fiction and geek ingredients in our homegrown podcasts. Join us every other Monday for speculative fiction and game reviews, geek commentary, and whatever else we decide to ramble on about. Listen, we found some beryllium on a nearby planet, and we might be able to get there... If we reconfigure the solar matrix in parallel for endothermic propulsion, what do you think? Nuketown Radioactive, because if it's not glowing, it's not good for you. Check us out at www.nuketown.com slash podcast. Modules are crystallized stories that are put together for people to take and make their own. And they've been a very lucrative product for a lot of people in the gaming industry. They really cater to the idea that, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort and energy to create a story from scratch. And it's better if you have somebody else make the story for you. And all you have to do is learn the story and learn how to get people through it and go from there. My problem with them typically is that they're linear. They go from point A to point B to point C. And it's a very difficult situation. Um, because there's this tendency to want to sort of drag the players through the module step by step. And that tends to result in some resentment on the player's part or, or a lack of interest at that point when they realize that you know there's areas on the map they can't go 
there's things that weren't provided for in the story, and now they just have to somehow figure it out. And to a certain extent, the storyteller also, the Game Masters, feels a little betrayed as well because they are hoping, they bought this module hoping this is going to make a good story and I don't have to spend time making up my own story and I don't have to create my own, you know, thing from scratch. And if it goes off the rails, it becomes a problem. Um, so it's my suggestion that when you're designing a module for publication or just for somebody else to play, you have to spend some time thinking in terms of more of like a movie studio than a comic book or a point-by-point -point labyrinth. Think in terms of a movie studio. What does a movie studio do? They create a set... They have a sound stage, or two, or three, or four. They have digital effects. They have special effects. They have a cast. They have supporting cast. They have extras. All these features go into making a movie, right? There may be a shooting script, but ultimately it's the director on the set that calls the shots. And I want you, as a storyteller, as a game master, to put yourself in the mind of a director. And instead of trying to control the flow of the story, think in terms of, okay, what will make the best navigation through this setting that I have? What's the best way to film this? You know, in gaming terms. So, in gaming terms, it's more like, I've got this set. I've got this sort of environment. And the environment includes characters, scenery, plot, um, things that are going on, bits of business. And all of that makes up for the entire scene that we're playing. So you don't go from point A or point B necessarily. If the light is good one day, you you know, you might shoot a different part of the movie first. Same thing goes for the story of the module. If a module is written this way, you will be able to go from one setting to another and have it be seamless. Have it be an easy transition back and forth. So let's give sort of an example of that situation. I want to refer back to um, to Dance Upon the Dawn, which is the uh, tournament game I talked about in a uh, previous edition of the Bears Grove. And let's go ahead and sort of talk about the module aspects of that game. So we have the setting, if you remember correctly, um, which is Atlanta, and there's a riot on. Um, there is 
you know, so we've got a, a bunch of different um, sets, um, areas of, of plot and interest. The sets are having to do with Atlanta and having to do with the vampire underworld. So, you know, you've got the set Elysium, which is where all the vampires hang out. You've got the areas for the various power groups in the city. Maybe the Anarchs have a zone that's theirs. Maybe the garage of a particular area is going to be the site of of probably a firefight because there's probably something that's going on in that direction. Maybe there's a shopping mall that will serve as an interesting location for part of the story, or at least might be part of the story. Um, there's the secret sewers underneath the city. There's the, um, the prince's house and the way it, the way it looks, you know, there's, um, a lot of different aspects that you want to think about. And all of these scenes are different zones in the story. And if I were writing this up as a module, what I would do is would have a section where I describe kind of each individual character that's important as a, as a background and their areas of interests and the things that they are part of. But that's not the whole of the story. We've got setting, we've got characters, but we also have to have plot. The plot rides on multiple timelines and conditional statements. Now, conditional statement, it sounds pretty geeky. Basically, all it is is just a if-then kind of situation. Think of there being a critical path through the story. From point A to point Z. And there's those critical paths are sort of the backbone of the story. It's not required that you follow that backbone. It is not meant to lead the players on a step-by-step chase through the backbone. But the backbone provides a timeline for not just what's going on with the players but what's happening in the world as a whole. So you could say, like, okay, the prince's anniversary party starts out the game, and then the next day is the beginning, and the next evening, really, for vampires, is the beginning of the social unrest, okay? And then the social unrest starts to get worse and worse until there's a riot. And then the riot takes off and there's various things going on with the riot. Like there's a demonstration in one part of the city. In another part of the city, there's just wild looting. Um, In another part of the city, there's something going on, you know, at the hospital. Um... And then, of course, there's the aspect of, okay, how do we handle this riot? 
Now, what are we going to do? Um, how are we going to get through it? How are we going to survive? Um, so the plot then would sort of say, maybe you might say, okay, it gets to this point, unless things go otherwise, unless unless the players sort of change the course of things, it's going to reach this crescendo point, and then it's going to be over. Um, and whether or not, you know, you end up with a scene like at the end of Fight Club, which I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but if you've seen Fight Club, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, maybe, you know, uh, that will all be due to the player's um, intervention. Plus, there's the alternative timeline, which is also going on at the same time, which is the vampire timeline and what's happening in the vampire courts. The next step would probably be something like when the mentor is sentenced to die and then when the mentor is moved from one location to another so that they can be prepared to be killed and when the mentor is actually staked and put in the sunlight and, you know, all those steps will be taking place along that heartbeat of the timeline. So then if I'm sitting down to run the game for the first time and I've never read any of this, the first thing I can do is glance over the summary and look at the timeline and say, okay, this is kind of what's going on. It gives you a touchstone, but the important thing is to not make the timeline be etched in stone. And in fact, you might even want to have separate branches. Like, okay, if the players are able to change the mind of the prince's wife, then this branch happens and things change. Um, and it's very difficult to write a module this way because you have to sort of take into account all the possibilities that you can think of and some that you don't. But the idea of making it modular and having sets that people walk onto and walk off of is that you don't have to worry if the players decide instead of going to the prince's court that night they are going to go check out the abandoned warehouse. The abandoned warehouse is not really that important, you think. I mean, you know, maybe looking at it, you might not think it's very important, but, you know, it's important to them. So you have to be responsive. And there's something going on at the warehouse. I mean, there's going to have to be something happening at the warehouse. The, the players showed up there. And you have to be on the reflexive side of things and say, well, the book doesn't say anything about a warehouse, but now they want to come go to the warehouse. So, you know, you look at the provided characters and the provided scenes and sets and you say, okay, how am I going to make this work? And you think, okay, well, look, it says here in the background for the Nosferatu elder that she is a fan of Japanese anime toys. Okay, so maybe what's going on is, you know, because 
Monstero don't like to pay for anything, maybe it's a thing where, you know, the Nosferatu are going to break into this warehouse and steal these anime toys that have been ordered through a dummy corporation so that the dummy corporation doesn't have to pay for them. And uh, the players at the warehouse sort of come on to that scene to say, oh, what's going on here? Oh, they're stealing something. I wonder why. Could this have something to do with our plot? Let's go find out. Okay. And does it have anything to do with the plot? Not necessarily. But it is activity. And as it sort of self-defines at that point, this is part of the story. Because what if the players stop the theft and they steal the stuff? Well, that means the Nosferatu Elder is going to owe them a favor. They're going to they're gonna want those toys. And so maybe you can make a deal with the Nosferatu and that will give you some prestige or they'll give you some information that you wouldn't normally have and that will then feed back into the main plot. You see what I'm saying? So it's impossible to write every possible derivation of the storyline. That's not the point of a module. The point of a module should be giving you the keys to the sound stages and giving you the keys to the wardrobe department and the keys to central casting and saying, okay, here's what's available. Um, you don't have to worry. You don't have to think, you don't have to sit down and create a relationship map. There's a relationship map already in progress, already here. You know, you don't have to create a timeline of events because I've already given you a timeline of events. Um, you don't have to figure out what the settings are like or whether, you know, the nightclub has an elevator. The nightclub will have an elevator. I mean, it's there. It's written up in the nightclub description. Maybe there's a map of the nightclub. It's got an elevator. Okay? Um, so, in closing, my suggestion to you, if you're interested in creating a module that is not a linear a to B to C kind of situation is consider this model of the Hollywood backlot. And instead of creating a railroad station, as it were, where you're going from point A to point B, you create a story environment, a laboratory, um, a background for other people to get involved with. Now, I just wanted to stop for a second and and put a little caveat on the end of this. There's a lot of games out now that are indie games that the non-traditional games, they don't do too well, as far as I can tell, with modules. A lot of them are designed to be created and run on the fly. Um, that there may be some games that are like, that are... There may be some of these games that are okay with that. I'm thinking about some of Fred Hicks's games like Spirit of the Century, uh, Don't Rest Your Head. They would probably be okay with a traditional, something of a traditional module kind of thing, a story structure. But games like The Prince's Kingdom, Dogs in the Vineyard, 
uh, other sort of games, I mean, they're not going to really fit that model of, okay, I'm going to create a module for you. And that's part of why you don't really see a lot of indie games modules, but um, as far as I can tell. Next up, we have some feedback. To be or not to be, that is the question. Yeah, I think you should be a cleric, because our group really needs a cleric. What? No, I shall not let the needs of the party interfere with my art. Whatever, man, we still need a cleric. Whoa, you could play like, I don't know, like a priestess of the leather goddess or something. Hey, are we ever going to get this show on the road here? Do you feel like you roleplay with some of these guys? looking for a way to make that experience better? Then listen to The Art of Roleplaying, where communication is the key and better roleplaying is just around the corner. It's a casual conversation with gamers much like yourself, and we're not nearly as pretentious as the name sounds. Theartofroleplaying.com Well, I have my first and only repeat uh, feedback. Um, well, I don't know if it's my only. I think I had some other people repeat feedback, but ultimately uh, wanted to read this letter. Dante and Cobwebs say, uh, they wrote me and they said, Dante and Cobwebs here again. We just finished listening to the latest episode of Dragonkin and glad to hear that teachers are using role-playing as an educational tool. As an editor's side note here, Dragonkin is my podcast about role-playing and kids that I do every so often, so if you're interested in it, go over to dragonkin.bearsgrove.com. Okay, back to the letter. That having been said, me and my wife have been going to local middle schools and high schools to promote our Barfer LARP, as well as give demonstrations to the students. At first, we were a little wary of approaching school districts with this live-action version of Dungeons & Dragons, we were able to promote the fact that it is a great source of exercise as well as a safe outlet to keep children entertained and off the streets. Since we are not able to have children ourselves, we take pride in promoting role-playing among a new generation as well as public awareness. That having been said, due to our efforts, in part not entirely of course, our organization, HFS, High Fantasy Society, was able to start a chapter at the local university that counts as school credit, one step towards getting role-playing accepted publicly. Also, thought you'd like to know we are currently working on recording our first episode of our very own podcast, inspired by you as well as Gamer the Podcasting, named We'd Rather Be LARPing. Thanks again for the great podcast, and keep up the great work. We'll be listening. Sincerely, Dante and Cobwebs. That's great. That's wonderful. Um, this is the sort of thing where if I were single and I had lots of time and energy, I would be doing this because it would be an awesome thing. Um, I, I would love to do just exactly that. Go from place to place, talk to people, um, you know, go into the joys of buffer LARPing, especially because that is, like you said, and there's an exercise aspect to it. Um, and a lot of people are so anti gaming 
these days because of the whole you know crusade against you know fat people essentially um so they want to have some sort of uh outlet for you know exercise and personally if i had uh, a regular buffer larp to get into i'd get a lot more exercise i know um, I need to get one because I'd love to have that kind of exercise. Um, but yes, thank you so much for writing Dante and Cobwebs, and I really look forward to hearing your podcast. Please give me your URL and the RSS for your podcast just as soon as you get one because I'd love to uh, put it uh, on my site and also post it on the Goblin Broadcast Network at gbncom.com. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Well, you've um, spent a lovely period of time, um, a lovely and indeterminate period of time, listening to the Bears Grove podcast, and I really appreciate it. Um, so many people uh, have subscribed to the podcast, and I really appreciate that it's been successful to that extent. I'm coming up on my second year of podcasting this September, and I'm trying to figure out a way to make this, you know, uh, anniversary a uh, an important time um so if you if any of you have any ideas about how i might celebrate the second year of uh the bears grove please let me know um that will be coming up this september um the, i think it's towards the end of september i have to look it up on the on the web page it's been forever um so, once again, this podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons license. Attribution, no derivatives, no commercial use. License 3.0. The music today was from the Podsafe Music Network. i like to thank my promo people who were Nuketown Radioactive, The Geek Acres Podcast, The Wondering Geek Podcast, and the Art of Role-Playing podcast. Thanks so much, folks. Uh, well, and I hope to see you all at DragonCon. If, you, if you're at DragonCon and you want to meet me, just stop by the podcasting track or go look for my game in the gaming area and you can come and see me. Because that's where I'll be. I'll be either gaming or I'll be at the podcasting track pretty much the entire con. So I uh, look forward to seeing you. And... Until next time, have sweet dreams when you get them. Okay, we gotta do something about the promo situation. Agreed. That first announcement was abysmal. Geeky gaming goodness, indeed. Even I'm not that big of a hack. Don't sell yourself short. Thanks, I think. But you are all correct. If we are going to entice people into listening to the Wandering Geek podcast, we need to put out something that will grab the listeners. But we're just voices and Kurt the camera guy's head. What can we do? I've got it. We can come to him in a dream. It always worked in the plays of... Don't say it. Don't you two get started again. Well, what should we have him say? The feature needs prominent placement. That's where he shares ways for travelers to get their geek on and interviews those people who make it possible. The DVD news is the thing. How do I love the deleted scenes? Don't forget the MMO report, free trials, free MMOs, and news stories, too. And there's listener emails, the geek buzz, and skid marks to boot. He fits it all into 74 minutes. Maybe he really is messed up in the head. 
Our being here would seem to make that self-evident. But he obviously can't make a decent promotional piece without us. So tonight, we use William's plan to catch him while he's sleeping. Oh, hey, fellas. What you up to? Oh, nothing. 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 Nothing at all. I just came in to grab the laptop and recording stuff. I was going to record a new promo, but I don't have any good ideas. Maybe I should just say something like, The Wandering Geek Podcast. How do you get your geek on? And then something like, You can find it at http colon slash slash wanderinggeek.podbean.com or on iTunes. Just search for Wandering Geek. Oh, I don't know. I'll think of something. I told you he needs us.